I'm waiting for someone to give me the high sign. Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> Hunkered down back there. I couldn't even see you. Well, good evening. I'm glad to see you tonight. Continue to pray for Robbie and Pam and the Donahoes. They will be returning this weekend. And Robbie should be back here in the pulpit on Sunday. I'm sure you'll be glad to welcome him home. Continue to pray for him. Continue to pray for what's going on in Ukraine. You may have seen that they held a referendum in four different regions in the south and east of Ukraine. Uh, And they say that uh, by about a 98% vote, (laughs) the people have decided that they wanted to join Russia and become part of Russia. Uh, I must say that... uh, I'm highly skeptical of the results of that particular vote. I think the vote may have been rigged. Um, The reports I've read is that people were coerced into voting a particular way, even to the point of having weapons trained on them and people telling them which box to mark. And... uh, uh, you know, it's uh, you either vote uh, the way we want or there are serious consequences. So we hope that uh, such measures will not become the norm in America, but uh, we'll see. So um, the war continues in, in Ukraine, and uh, we don't hear about it on the news very much, but... Uh, It's brutal, and uh, many people are dying every day, and people are suffering, and winter is coming, and it's going to become desperate um, when there is no infrastructure. So please remember to pray for those people. And uh, remember also the evangelistic effort that's going on at the Fort Bend County Fair, that the team of men who came in, to do this, they, they are working every night. Um, the fair isn't open during the day, but they are open uh, every evening from, I don't know, about 5 until 11 o'clock at night. And also we have uh, a commitment for this weekend to go out on Saturday and Sunday also to join them. So if you haven't been out to the fair, I would encourage you to do that um, and uh, go out and see what people do and get involved in in what's going on out there. And at a minimum, you can go and pray for those who are working uh, at the fair to bring the gospel. And uh, they have had opportunity to give the gospel to many hundreds of people at the fair. And so uh, pray for those who are working and pray for the results as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that we can come to you at any time with any need, with any thing that's on our mind. And uh, we have confidence that that you're there and that you will hear because we have access to you through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that basis, we come with confidence. But we come because 
We need mercy, we need grace, and so we come that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. But, Father, we come not only with uh, petitions. We come also, Father, uh, on behalf of others, praying that you will intercede on their behalf. We pray for Robbie, that uh, you'll bring him and those with him safely back to Houston. They won't have any problems with airplanes or documents or customs or any of these problems, that you bring them safely back. Father, I pray for Ukraine. These people are suffering because of the war, and it seems that uh, there's no end in sight. But you're in control, and uh, you have a purpose for what's going on. I just pray that uh, you will bring an end to this conflict. It would be very soon, and that uh, there might be freedom in Ukraine again. So I'm praying for victory there, and that you'll drive out the enemy. You can cause things to happen that uh, would turn things around very quickly, and so we're praying that you'll do that. In the meantime, I pray that you'll sustain the people who are there, especially for those that are fighting, those that are on the front lines, those that are in danger, that you're going to watch over and keep them. pray that you'll give them courage. I pray that you're going to also encourage them in their faith for those who are believers. They would be strong in faith and they would give testimony to others of their confidence in eternal life and why they can have peace and by the circumstances, and I pray that also many will be brought to faith in Christ because they are faced with uh, death every day. So, Father, we we pray that uh, your word will continue to go out and that uh, you're going to be glorified through this. I thank you now that we can come together to study the word of God. We need to know what you've revealed to us so we can understand your purpose and your plan and so that we might fulfill that purpose and bring you glory. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us as we look at a portion of your word tonight that we might grow in our faith, that we'll be edified, encouraged, and motivated with regard to our own spiritual lives. And I would ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, uh, tonight uh, we're going to look at some things from uh, Romans chapter 4. This, of course, follows after Romans chapter 3, and we had some lessons from Romans 3 where we talked about various doctrines related to our so great salvation, including redemption, justification, propitiation in particular, Tonight we want to talk about the doctrine of imputation. Now sometimes we hear these Bible words and they either frighten us or they just go over our heads. We're not really clear oftentimes uh, just what they mean. Um, we have some kind of a vague idea that somehow they're connected with salvation, but if we're not really clear on the concept, then... Uh, they don't stabilize us, they don't give us confidence, they don't give us cause for rejoicing if we don't understand them. And I think that these principles that we've been looking at are foundational, they're bedrock. We need to have these things and understand them clearly. 
Uh, and when we do, uh, it, it's going to do so much for our faith, and it's also going to give us much greater ability as we seek to make disciples, as we are commanded to do. It's going to give us greater facility in giving the gospel. It will also help us in in other areas dealing with people. There's so much confusion uh, in, in churches today in so many different areas, and we need to know what these doctrines are. Uh, okay, we come now to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to uh, speed through some of these verses, and uh, we will stop and drill down on some of the concepts. What shall we say then that that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? So Paul here is now going to uh, bring in the two witnesses that he had mentioned back in Romans chapter 3. Uh, in verse 21, where he, he says the law and the prophets bear witness to a righteousness from God. According to the law, that when you are going to try to prove something, you need to have a minimum of two witnesses. And so Paul said that the law and the prophets are the witnesses. They are going to give testimony about righteousness from God. And then Paul went on to develop some theological principles, but now in chapter 4, he is going to come back and he is going to call on these two witnesses, namely Abraham and David. So first of all, he appeals to Abraham, and he says, what has our father Abraham discovered, according to the flesh, he's saying it's our father according to flesh. He's uh, primarily addressing this to Jews, and he's going to say, God is not the God of the Jews only. He's also the God of the Gentiles. And he's going to use Abraham to show that Abraham is saved as a Gentile. He was saved before he was circumcised. And so Abraham is going to be a pattern for all who believe whether they are Jews or whether they are Gentiles. It was only many years after Abraham actually uh, was saved that he became a Jew. And so he is going to use Abraham in this chapter uh, then as the model for those who are justified, whether Jew or Gentile, but he is going to uh, start out by saying, what are we going to say about Abraham? What did he discover about this justification. All right, in verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, the if here is known as a first-class condition in the Greek text. Now, the first-class condition, it's used in uh, basically two different ways. One, it was used as a debater's technique to say, let's assume that this is true. Just for the sake of argument, let's just say that this is true. And so we find the, uh, this particular if used that way in numerous places where it's just an assumption that something is true and then we'll make an argument based upon the truthfulness of that statement. 
The other way that the first-class condition is used is to state something that is a reality if and it is true. Uh, for example, when Satan tempted Jesus, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And that was a uh, an actual statement. Satan knew that Jesus was the Son of God. He uh, was not simply debating there. He says, if you're the Son of God, and I know that you are, Therefore, you can, you can do this. You can turn these stones into bread. Well, here we have a first-class condition. Is it uh, saying, Let, let's assume this? Well, okay, we can do that. Or we could say Paul is actually using this as a, a statement that he knows that this is true. Now, if Abraham was justified by works... So question, was Abraham justified by works? Yes, he was. So uh, let's take a look at that. And now this is found in uh, James chapter 2. In verses 21 through 25, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Yes, he was. Abraham was justified by works. So do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. By his works, his faith is going to grow. He's going to obey God, and this is going to actually increase his faith. And so his faith becomes stronger. It becomes more mature. So as we go through life, we're faced with a test, and we go ahead and do what God has told us to do. We do this in faith, but as we do it, it's also going to increase our faith. So our faith can become stronger, more mature. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, now we have a quotation from Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So we're going to have to uh, take a little time and look at this statement from Genesis 15, 6, uh, because Paul is going to quote this also in Romans chapter 4, he quotes it in other passages as well. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. Now this um, is going to be what we will see tonight. That is called imputation. Something is credited to the account of Abraham, and his faith is going to be accounted for righteousness. And then we have this word and, which means also. In addition to the fact that Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness, also he was called the friend of God. Now being called the friend of God comes as a result of being obedient to God. It's those believers who trust God and obey God who are going to have this wonderful category of being the friends of God, even as Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I tell you to do. You're my friends if you keep my commandments. 
And so here we have two different statements, and they refer to two different classifications of justification. The first is justification by God. Justification is a declaration. We saw this on Sunday. It's something that God says. It's not something that God does as far as making a change within the believer, but it is something that God declares, and he makes this declaration on the basis of the fact that he gives us his righteousness as a gift. But being called the friend of God, oh, now that is justification by works. And this is something that is different. Now we have Abraham is going to be declared righteous because he exhibited his faith by offering his son Isaac. Was he justified by works when he offered Isaac? Yes. People saw that. Abraham took his son up on Mount Moriah. They built an altar. He tied up his son. He was ready to cut his throat and offer a sacrifice to God, even as God commanded him. And you know that God provided a substitute. And so Abraham did not sacrifice his son, but he was ready to do that. And people found out about this. They heard this story. Wow, what faith. Could you do that? What kind of faith does it take to be able to do that? And so he was justified by men. That is, he was declared righteous. They saw his testimony, and they declared him righteous. All right, so in verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, we have a problem here. We have this faith only, not by faith only. And we have people today who teach a salvation that is a mixture of faith and works. So you have uh, people, call it lordship salvation or uh, Puritan theology, Reformed theology, a lot of different terms that could be given here. But they say... They have a little cliche that says, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. Well, that's kind of a catchy little thing, and you have to think about it. But what they are saying is this, yes, we're saved by faith alone, but you have to have works to go along with faith. So, yeah, you're saved by faith alone, but then if you don't have works, then it proves that you didn't have faith. And so you have to have faith plus works. And so they want to deny that they're saved by works, but that's the only way to understand it. And so they, they come to this verse and they say, a man is justified by works and not by faith only. All right, the problem that we have here is this word only. It does not go with the word faith. First of all, it doesn't agree with it in the Greek uh, grammar here. 
if it went with faith, faith only, they would have to, they would have to agree, agree grammatically. But actually the word only is an adverb. Now an adverb is something that is connected with the function of a verb. So what is the verb here? Well, it's the word justified. And you see that a man is justified not only by works, but by faith also. So it's not, he's not justified only by faith. There is another justification which is a justification by works. It's a testimony that people will give. Someone may see your good works and say, now there is a righteous person. And that would be justification. It's a declaration. Also, the fact that Abraham was called the friend of God, God said, have you considered Abraham my friend? So God gave testimony that Abraham was his friend, but also people who saw Abraham made the same declaration. And so there is a declaration that there is righteousness, which is simply a recognition of what they have seen. So Abraham was justified by works when he offered his son Isaac, and so a man is justified by works and not only by faith. So the... The statement here actually is saying there are two classifications of justification. So the, we have this unfortunate translation here when it says not by faith only, and so people have jumped on that and say, ah, you have to add some other things to faith. And yet there are more than 150 verses found in our New Testament alone that say a person is saved by faith without any works attached. And in fact, we have numerous verses that say that we must not add works to faith for our salvation. Verse 25, Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? And the answer is yes, she was justified by works. Now it's very likely, it's probable that Rahab was saved before the spies ever got to her house. She had already heard about the God of the Jews. She had heard about how God had delivered them from their bondage in Egypt. She had already heard how God had delivered them from enemies on the east side of the Jordan. So she had already heard about this God and had put faith in him, and she was justified by faith, but she's justified now by works when she... Uh, received the spies and sent them out another way. Okay, let's let's go back here now. Romans four two, if Abraham was justified by works and he was, he has something to boast about. Could Abraham boast about sacrificing his son Isaac? Of course he could. Just imagine how you could uh, go out and brag about that. Oh, yeah, well, I I went down to the mountain. I 
I took my son with me, went up there. Boy, I tied him down. I was ready to cut his throat. Boy, I tell you, boy, what faith I had. Could he boast that way? Of course he could. If Abraham was justified by works, if that's what gave him salvation, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Well, before whom then could he boast? Before men, but not before God. His works have nothing to do with his salvation. No, they have to do with his obedience, his post-salvation life. But his works have nothing to do with being justified or declared righteous by God or before God. So Abraham was justified by works when he offered up his son. So he has something to boast about there, but he certainly couldn't boast before God. That's not going to add anything to his salvation. So <clears throat> what? <laughs> here's the greatest question. We ought to ask this every day, many times every day. What does the Scripture say? We need to keep asking that question over and over again. What does the Bible say? Look at what's going on in the world. And we ought to ask ourselves, what does the Scripture say? Does the Bible say anything about our current situation? Does it talk about trouble in the world? Does it talk about... Uh, the rising up and the falling down of nations. Does the Bible say anything about that? What does the Scripture say? The Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men, and He gives it to whomever He wishes. Oh, the Bible says that? Yes. Why do the nations rage and the people imagine the vain things? The kings of the earth have set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. What does the Scripture say? I think that we need to be asking that question over and over as we try to make sense out of what's going on in the world. Well, what are we going to say about justification? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now this statement is recorded in Genesis 15:6. Now it's not saying that Abraham believed at that moment in Genesis 15:6. Abraham had believed long before that. Abraham had believed when he was still in Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham had believed that when he was still living in his father's house in a different country. But Abraham had previously believed the Lord. He had believed God. And God saw that faith, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. All right, we're going to uh, take a look at uh, what is this accounting. But let's look at the uh, next two verses uh, before we do that. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. All right, we all understand this. You go to work, the end of the week, the end of the month, it's time for you to get paid. 
When the boss goes to pay you, he is not giving you a gift. It is not grace. He is obligated to pay you. You have earned it. You deserve to be paid. And so when the accounting is made, he's not putting this down as a gift. He's putting it down as an obligation, as a debt. He owes that to you. We understand that principle. Well, if we look at that in light of our salvation to the one who works, <laughs> the wages aren't counted as grace. You can work and work, and you'll never get grace that way because you can't earn or deserve grace. You can't pay God for grace in any sense. So it's a debt if you work. You want to work for salvation, you're going to be further in debt. But this verse, I just love this verse. I have used this over and over again for people who want to work their way into heaven, for people who think you have to do things to be saved. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. All right, to him who does not work. Does that what your Bible say? Your Bible say doesn't work? Yes. To the one who doesn't work but believes. All right, on whom do we believe? On the one who justifies the ungodly. So it is not God who is going to justify the good guy the perfect person, the good person, he justifies the ungodly. God will declare just or righteous the ungodly if they'll believe, if they'll put faith in the Savior. Now, we saw before that the greatest question that can be asked is, how can God save anyone and still be just? How can God save you? You are a filthy, rotten, depraved sinner. No exceptions. How can God save us? That's the great question. Here we see again, God declares righteous the ungodly. Why? His faith is accounted for righteousness. We cannot manufacture our own righteousness. We cannot make ourselves righteous no matter what we do. Even if you could stop sinning today, you still have a whole lifetime behind you that was just full of sinfulness. So we have to have some way that God is able to save us. And so God looks at you, and he doesn't see your righteousness, but he sees your faith, and he credits that faith to you as righteousness. So that when God sees your faith in your account book in heaven, he doesn't write down faith. He writes down righteousness. It's going to be given to you as a gift. So we'll take a look at that. Uh, verse 6, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man 
to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. All right, here we have the second witness. And he talks about God imputing righteousness. Now, we have the word imputes here. It's the same word that's translated accounted in the previous verse. In fact, the Greek word that we have in this passage, we'll look at it in a minute, it's found some 11 times just in this chapter. It's translated counted, accounted, imputed, uh, reckoned, uh, when we get to chapter 6. <clears throat> so it's an important word. Um, so we need to see what is this word for imputation or accounted. I think I have it here. Let's see. Don't do that. All right, we have this word accounted. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. It's the Greek word legizomai, which surprisingly is an accounting term. The word means uh, mathematical calculation. It's an accounting term. It was used by bookkeepers. It's also used for the cognitive processes where you are going to consider something. You're going to reckon, uh, which means you come to a conclusion after you've made calculations. So as an accounting term, it means to place into one's account either as a debit or a credit. So we have a ledger sheet, and any book, book, good bookkeeper is going to keep track of all the transgre- uh, tra- not transgressions, <laughs> all the transactions, and uh, you're going to have to take into account the debits, the charges, as well as the credits, the things that are deposited. And then you're going to have to keep track of whatever's the balance. So here's your account. Uh, I gave you a million dollars to start with. Uh, and so you have a positive balance. That's uh, a million dollars. But then you go out, you spend $50,000. And then you still have a positive balance. You've still got money in the bank. You've got the $950,000 on there. But uh, you see it had to be uh, shown as the transaction. So when you write, write down $50,000 here as a debit, that's an imputation. It was accounted. It's taken into account. Now, here is our account with God. We have big, big debt. First of all, there's Adam's original sin, and that's listed in the debit column. We are unrighteous. We have no righteousness from God. In fact, we have Adam's sin uh, credited to our account. And because of this, we are sinners. We are born sinners. Before you ever commit your first sin, overt sin or mental sin or verbal sin, whatever it is, you're already a sinner. And that's because... Adam's original sin was imputed to you, and so now you're in the red. You have a negative balance. Not only that, but we commit acts of personal sin, and this also is in the debit column, so we 
are far, far in debt, and it's a debt so great that no one can pay it. But Jesus Christ is perfectly righteous. He is born of a virgin, therefore does not have the imputation of Adam's sin. Uh, Jesus Christ lived a perfectly sinless life, and therefore he has no personal sins, and therefore he is righteous. Now, Jesus on the cross takes our debt. He says, charge that to my account. And so Adam's original sin that belongs to you, that's charged against the account of Jesus. Your personal sins, he paid for all of those. Now, Jesus, because he is perfect in every aspect, he still has a balance. He was never um, unrighteous. He was made sin for us. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree, but he was still perfectly righteous, even though for a time he was bearing our sins and God had to judge him for that. But Jesus paid our debt, and because of that now, our debt has been paid in full. So Adam's original sin, as far as you are concerned, canceled. Personal sins, that debt is canceled. Jesus has paid for it. Has Jesus paid for all your sins? Has he? What do you think? Yeah? That means even the ones you're going to commit tomorrow or next week, they've been paid for, paid in full, all of them. So that sin debt is canceled. It's an amazing thing when you stop to think about that. So God is not going to treat us now as a judge. He's going to treat us as a father, and there's a very different relationship that we have now because the debt has been canceled. So since the debt has been canceled, look at the balance. Nothing. You don't owe anything. That's wonderful. The debt has been paid. <laughs> but you don't have any assets. Oh, your debt's been canceled. You're out of debt. That great debt has been eliminated. Great. Let's go down to the coffee shop, and you can buy me a coffee. You say, I don't have any money. You see? So the debt has been paid, but you have to have assets in order to get into heaven. And the one thing that you must have to get into heaven is righteousness. You don't have it, and you can't get it on your own. You can't manufacture it. So even though the debt has been canceled completely by the work of Christ on the cross, in order to get into heaven, you have to have righteousness. And so we're going to see that the very righteousness of Christ is credited to our account. And so God sees our faith and he puts down righteousness. That's credited to our account. And so now I have a balance with God. And it's, it's a true statement when God declares me to be righteous because he gave me righteousness. 
So what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. It was credited to his account for righteousness. So to him who works, the wages are not counted. Same word. They're not accounted. They're not charged as grace. They're not uh, deposited as grace. But it's a debt. It goes in the debit column. So all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's imputation. The imputation of your sins to Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. So you see, our debt now has been charged to Jesus Christ. God the Father has put on God the Son all of our sins. Second Corinthians 5.21 He has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All right. So to the one who doesn't work, but believes on the one who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And then we have, again, what... David spoke the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes or accounts righteousness apart from works. That word imputes, it's the same word as accounted above. It means to make that deposit. It's credited to your account. And God gives you righteousness. You see, this is so clear. God gives you his righteousness apart from works. Romans 5, 16, 17. The gift, here he's talking about the gift of salvation or justification, the gift of righteousness. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. The one who sinned, he's talking about Adam here. He said the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. So Adam sinned, and this resulted in condemnation for the entire human race. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification or a declaration of righteousness. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, and it did, that's spiritual death, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. You see, righteousness comes to us as a gift. It's not the righteousness that we might produce. Whatever righteousness you can produce, you can boast about, but the righteousness that's required to get into heaven is a gift from God. And so Philippians 3.9, the Apostle Paul says, My desire is to be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. So you do works, you keep the law, you produce your own righteousness. He said, I don't want that. He said, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So I'm going to get into heaven because I'm righteous. Not my righteousness but that which comes from God. 
So we've seen numerous statements now in Romans 3, Romans 4, here in Philippians 3, 9. Righteousness is given to us as a gift. Uh, it's from God. It's from the source of God. And therefore, uh, you see, God can declare me righteous. So the righteousness of Christ is credited to our account. And because the righteousness of Christ is credited to your account, God can now declare that you are righteous. That's what it means to be justified. It means to be declared righteous. Are you righteous? Yes. Self-righteous? <laughs> I hope not. And so we recognize that it's been paid in full. Okay. Romans 3.21, now the righteousness from God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. All right. So just uh, quickly we'll go through this. Originally imputation was a bookkeeping term to charge or to a credit to one's account. Now, this entry is not necessarily the result of a personal transaction, although your transactions, your own charges and deposits would be recorded or imputed. But one could voluntarily take someone else's debt and charge it to his own account, or a person might make a deposit in someone else's account. So uh, maybe you go to the restaurant and the people at the next table have uh, no ability to pay for their meal. Maybe he forgot his wallet or uh, his card was declined. And you can say, here, put it on my card. So you, you could take someone else's debt and volunteer to, uh, to pay that. Or maybe somebody might make a deposit in your account. So in the doctrine of imputation, there are three great imputations. First is the imputation of Adam's sin to every descendant of Adam. Romans 5.12, that's Adam's original sin. It was imputed to you at the moment that you were uh, conceived. Secondly, the imputation of man's sins to the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Many passages talk about the fact that Christ bore our sins. And then thirdly, the imputation of God's righteousness to everyone who trusts in Christ for salvation. And I would encourage you to note these verses, become very familiar with them, it, it's it's really great if you're talking to somebody and and they are uh, trying to work their way into heaven or think that they have to produce certain things in order to gain God's favor. These are the verses that talk about imputation and what is rightfully ours uh, and what God has done to solve our problem. So we are all born sinners. You're a sinner because Adam's sin was charged against you. And because God is righteous, he can't have a personal relationship with anyone until the sin is dealt with. 
And so God, grace found a way for God to do something about man's sin and unrighteousness and still maintain his own righteousness. This is an important consideration. How can God save anyone? Well, he imputed all sin to Christ on the cross. And so when any person puts his faith in Jesus, God gives righteousness to that person. It's given as a gift. And so now, if I have righteousness credited to my account, I can be declared free from the penalty of sin. I can truly be declared to be righteous. Now, God gives his righteousness to the ungodly, but once I've been given this, it's been credited to my account, God can make that declaration. Now, the illustration of imputation found in the little letter to Philemon where Paul says, charge it to my account. This is a wonderful story. And uh, Paul has with him a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. And Paul is now sending him back to Philemon, who was his owner. Now Paul says, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Oh, this is so wonderful. He's saying, okay, this slave, he's wronged you. He's stolen from you. Put it on my account. I will repay. See, this is like Jesus when he goes to the cross. It's like Jesus saying to the Father, okay, there's Jim. If he's wronged you, if he owes you anything, Put it on my account. I, I'll pay. I'll pay that debt. So it's that beautiful picture of imputation. Okay, if I can find where I need to be now. One more. Not it. Okay. All right. So we have these wonderful doctrines related to salvation. We talked about redemption, payment of a price in order to procure freedom. So the world has been redeemed in the sense that the price has been paid for every person to be able to go free, but not everyone is personally redeemed. They must put faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have liberation from the slave market of sin only when we put faith in Jesus Christ. Propitiation, we looked at. This is the work of Christ on the cross in satisfying the demands of God's justice. How can God save anyone? Well, it's the fact that Jesus satisfied God's holiness, the demands of justice, by paying the penalty for our sin. And now we have <clears throat> justification. It means to declare righteous, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have this 
doctrine of imputation. How can God declare anyone to be righteous? It's that the righteousness of Christ is credited to our account. And so all of this is grace. All of this is based upon the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would just encourage you, go back and study these passages, become very familiar with them. This is our salvation. And when you realize all that God has done for us through our Lord Jesus Christ, this doctrine of salvation, it's very deep. And it's wonderful. And it will just give you rejoicing and it will give you an inner strength and an inner confidence to know what God has done. And if God has done all of these things for us to bring us into his family, what will he do for us now that we are his children? He's going to do everything that is necessary to bring us into glory. He's going to do it. And I have confidence. What he did in the past, I know what he'll do in the future. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks that you are a God of grace. You've done all of these wonderful things, and we have not deserved even one little bit. You've been merciful to us. We, we deserve your judgment, but you've withheld that judgment, giving us opportunity to come to that point of faith in Christ. You saw our need. You had pity on us. You did what was necessary to solve the problem of your own holiness. So I thank you for Jesus, willing to leave the glories of heaven, suffer all of the humiliation, the indignities of being a man, all the limitations. But he did that to be able to go to the cross and provide our salvation. So we give thanks for Jesus and his willingness to do your will. We thank you for all that he endured on the cross, taking our sins upon himself, paying our penalty, suffering infinite agony so that we might have forgiveness, so that we might have eternal life. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we might truly come to understand these wonderful doctrines, these truths, that they might stable us in our thinking, that they might give us courage to face whatever is going to come in this life because we know what you did to provide salvation and now that we're your children, surely you'll do even more than that. And I pray, too, that we might have a firm understanding of these things so that we can talk to others about the magnificent salvation that you provided and how that it's all through grace. It's all because of what Jesus did, never on what we did. For surely we have no basis for boasting about anything. So I pray that we might learn these things Use them to bring you glory and fulfill the purpose that you have for us in this life. Thank you for this grace. 
Pray that you watch over and keep us safe as we go our way tonight. Give us grace that we can come again to meet as a body of believers, that we might worship you in spirit and truth, that we might rejoice in all of your grace, your goodness to us. We thank you for all of these things through the one who loved us and gave himself for us, even Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen.